0: hi everyone welcome to the weird era podcast a literary podcast where we ask the right questions Today we are talking to Sarah Blakely Cartwright about her latest novel, Alice Sadie Celine. She is the author of Red Riding Hood, a number one New York Times bestseller published worldwide in 38 editions and 15 languages. She is the editor of Hauser and Wirth's The Artist Library for Ursula Magazine, and she is publishing director of the Chicago Review of Books and associate editor of A Public Space. It's opening night, but Alice's performance in the local Bay Area production of The Winter's Tale is far from glamorous. She doesn't have dreams of stardom, but the basement theater in a wildfire choked town isn't exactly what she envisioned for her career back home in Los Angeles. To make matters worse, her best friend Sadie isn't even coming. Pragmatic, serious Sadie and flighty, creative Alice have been best friends since high school, really, one another's only friends. But now that they are through with college, which they attended together, and are living on opposite ends of California, Alice would at least expect her friend's support. Sadie, determined not to cancel her plans with her boyfriend, ends up enlisting the help of her mother, Celine. A professor of women's and gender studies at UC Berkeley, Celine's landmark treaties on sex and identity made her notorious, but she's struggling to write her new book in a post-second wave feminist world. So when Sadie begs her to attend Alice's play, she relents, if only to escape writer's block. But in a turn of perplexing events, Celine becomes entranced by Alice's performance and realizes that her daughter's once lanky, slightly annoying best friend is now an irresistible young woman. Set over the course of decades, from Alice and Sadie's early friendship days and Celine's decision to leave her husband to the radical movements of 1990s Berkeley and navigating contemporary Hollywood, Alice and Celine's affair will test the limits of their love for Sadie and their own beliefs of power, agency, and feminism. Witty and relatable, sexy and surprising, Sarah Blakely Cartwright's debut adult novel is a mesmerizing portrait of the inner lives of three very different women. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Hi, Sruti. Thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you.
0: Um, I want to talk about the two blurbs used to promote this book from the get-go. I, I just told you about the delight that this book has given me um, and that I think it's this really happy medium between something purely delightful without being too fluffy. There's also a very intellectual element to it. But it's not even you know, the people who have blurbed it, which Sure, let's name Chloe Sevigny and Busy Phillips, Queens, let's go. But the fact that they're both literally, l- the, the two blurbs are obsessed, Chloe's blurb, and I am literally obsessed, Busy's blurb. Um, I'm sort of wondering what's, what do you think is happening here in terms of the female readers that you found, um, and, and why are these two blurbs so similar?
1: I think for the people the book works for, it really works. Some readers won't like it, I'm sure, and that's okay too. Um, this book isn't for them. Uh, I wrote it for women like Busy and Chloe who are, yes, icons and it girls, but also broad-minded um Women at the cultural forefront and often champions of more difficult or more controversial projects. I mean, who could be a more ideal reader than busier Chloe? Um, I wrote it for icons, basically. Um, no, I was very lucky with the blurbs. Um, we sent the book in its early form to the women we most hoped it would connect with, and they did. And um, I have to say that has the added benefit of taking pressure off of publication um you know the month of publication I kind of feel like if they liked it my job is done
0: <laughs> I'm wondering would you consider this novel a subversion of the now sort of generic plot line uh wherein a man cheats on his wife with a younger woman was that the intent when mapping out the novel and if so is the common here that midlife crises come for older lesbians too um
1: I didn't set out intending to subvert anything um You know, it's been said, it's kind of a truism that an author should write the book she'd like to read. And I only realized after writing the novel that it had filled something of a gap in the market. You know, I never had seen a novel in which the person at the center of a love triangle among three women um, was an older woman, a mother... Um, that was very important to me. Again, something I realized through the act of writing and not an agenda I set out with. Um, But, yes, we've seen the Kevin Spacey, you know, at the top of the um, American Beauty love triangle, and, um, you know, we've seen the man at the top of that triangle. We also haven't necessarily seen... um, You know, the Kevin Spacey is supposed to be a creepy character when he becomes obsessed with the young Mira Sorvino. Um, I wanted to explore a relationship that could look toxic from the outside or, you know, damaging and see if it could actually be beneficial for those involved um, and nourishing. I would I guess also be careful to add that um Celine is actually not as quote old as she feels she is. Um, I think being around young people can be rejuvenating, but it can also have the opposite effect.
0: You know, I don't really care for the word problematic, but again, that's just a me thing, but again, had Celine been a man starting a love affair with her daughter's best friend as we're talking about, that's what exact that's exactly what it would be called. Um, given that there are power dynamics at play, given that there is an age difference, do you think that that could apply in this context? Not to not to give a finite study, again, is something you're trying to complicate, but um if we can if we can use those words for male to younger female uh dynamics, do you think it, it applies here or does it shift because it's a lesbian relationship?
1: Mm, you know, the word problematic is big, bold, and thorny. Um you know, what will be problematic for some readers is different for other readers. As a writer, I'm not really interested in identifying whether behavior is problematic or not. Um, I'm interested in whether it's true to the character, um, and then it's up to the reader to decide. Absolutely.
0: It was so fun to read about a young woman terrified to lose her virginity, uh, specifically because she was raised by a queer, sexually liberated, and communicative woman, and um, But do you think there's such a thing as, like, over-educating? Like, the point of talking about sex in a healthy way is to encourage a healthy attitude towards sex. And yet, for Sadie, that experience is just the opposite,
1: you know? I think it probably can work that way, and it did for Sadie. Um, For another character that openness could have been very liberating, I wanted to explore a character backed into a corner by her mother's too muchness an overbearing kind of acceptance. You know, if everything is accepted, where is the room or potential for rebellion for her to make her own mark? Sadie's rebellion is to close down to everything, um, or most things that her mother stands for. And one of those is sexuality and the freedom of sexual expression, When you and I were speaking earlier, Sruti, you mentioned the line in the novel Convention had the ring of the exotic for Sadie. And I love that line as a way of illuminating Sadie. She dreams of convention. Some people do. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's interesting when I think about it, um, that tug in two directions... Which could be conceived of also in terms of the two characters, mother and daughter, um, with Alice floundering in between, has always been something I've struggled with personally, you know, and I'm probably not alone in that. Um, You know, do we want the torrid love affair or the quiet commitment? You know, can we have both? And that's perhaps a question for a longer conversation. If Sadie is overeducated, is Alice
0: undereducated?
1: Sadie would say so. Um, But no, Alice has a different education and a different skill set, one that one might say is no less valid. Alice's intelligence is intuitive. I think that she has a natural gift with people um, and a sort of predisposition that's just much more intuitive than the other two women.
0: I found that you have this perfect meditation on affairs with Alice, where you write, um, when you read about someone doing something like this, you think, what an idiot to risk everything that way. And when it's you, it was, this is so beautiful, this is something different, this is special. Can you say more here? Is there a delusion in affairs? Or or you may be alluding to something like more meaningful in it that like,
1: Basic society doesn't typically acknowledge. An affair is a rupture, a way of taking a turn in one's life. It breaks whatever was there before. Um, sometimes, apparently, that's necessary. You know, sometimes maybe an affair is the only way a person can think of to go about that or the only thing that will work. Um, I am personally not a very judgmental person. I have a lot of faults, but that doesn't happen to be one of them. And I think that serves me as a writer. I'm curious. And I like my characters. If a character tells me they want to have an affair, I don't say, shame on you. I say, okay, did you do it? Oh, you did. Okay. Then what happened?
0: My next question stirred so much debate in my group chat um and so I'm going to ask it and or like try to get to it and 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 we'll go from there and see what happens but um you know, this idea of when you read about someone doing something like this, you think, what an idiot. And when it's you, you're like, this is beautiful. I'm sort of thinking about the ways in that thinking translates to sexuality in other ways, too. Um, early in the book, you write, Sadie even wondered privately if she had a dishonorable microdose of homophobia on her. She had noticed that lesbians made her nervous. Um... And the question is sort of like, why do lesbians make people nervous? (laughs) And the group chat was not pleased with this because they were like, what a generalization. Um, And I understand that and I hear that. But I sort of think about this all the time. Lesbians to me are... Full of so much power, um, and while I completely understand the the obvious um, you know lesbians making people nervous because of some sort of inner homophobia it's speaking to desire and being afraid of your own desire that much I understand but i'm some sort of wondering if there's something else intimidating um, In this, in the sexuality, um, Celine very much can be read that way. She is a powerful woman, um, specifically because of the ways in which she confidently sits in her sexuality. So, I'm wondering if you can say more here. What is so intimidating about lesbians?
1: Again, I would note that this comes directly from a specific character with, as discussed. very particular set of phobias and hang-ups and prejudices that have grown out of a very particular set of circumstances. However, yes, I believe, or not I believe, we do, we live in a society that is afraid of same-sex sexuality and female sexuality, and there's just a lot of homophobia. Actually, recently, just this week in my beloved little town upstate in the Catskills, there was a public outrage um, on Main Street when the local hotel hung a pride flag for the month of June. Um, You know, so there's just... Homophobia exists. There's a lot of um, fear and discomfort and mistrust of people who are lesbian, gay, and bisexual. Um, Again, that's not something I set out explicitly to you know, preach about or talk about or teach, you know, definitely not necessarily teach, um, but it's something that grew organically out of these characters. Um, You know, when you spend enough time with a character in their head, they reveal themselves to you. And I was surprised when Sadie spoke that line to me, but I knew it was true for her.
0: I love that. Going back to the inversion of too much, uh, there's also... A way in which characters in this book have too much quote unquote goodness, um, which ultimately become a detriment. Um, you write of Sadie's childhood experience with therapy. Uh, she's asked, What did that feel like to be so loved? In what ways is being so loved harmful?
1: Um, without being a therapist myself, I think that having an overbearing parent can be kind of a form of control. I think it can be very constrictive to a child's emotional development and psychological development um, to have a parent who, you know, maybe doesn't encourage a child's independence and maybe calls that love and maybe it's not the healthiest form of love that exists.
0: In her own youth, uh, Celine at some point has a roommate who declared men were oppressors, which unfortunately she admitted could be kind of hot. Why can oppression be hot?
1: Mm. Uh oh, loaded question alert. <laughs> um, Celine speaks this line. Again, the novel isn't an op ed, so all characters' opinions are their own and shouldn't be read as being the author's own opinion. That's my small print disclaimer. Um, but my answer as an author would be that maybe oppression can be hot under certain controlled circumstances. Um, you know, this is part of a long and complicated debate, um, especially as it pertains to women. Is oppression sexy? Is it conditioning? When is it abuse? Where is the line? Um, You know, can oppression be hot? Any sex shop filled with bondage um, paraphernalia will show you that some people think so. Um, You know, it's maybe not as controversial as it sounds. You only have to look at the sales numbers for Fifty Shades of Grey to see that some people think so. So I'm not the first to say. (laughs)
0: Um, I'm also interested in the ways Cora Sadie's partner was and I quote, by some estimation, her perfect man. Um, You portray him as this conventionally good-hearted man and sort of suggest that that kills any sex appeal for Sadie. What about goodness, I guess, similarly going off of the last question, what about goodness threatens eroticism?
1: I'd say that what generally isn't sexy is when virtuousness veers into righteousness. Sadie is torn because Cormac stands for everything she thinks she wants. Perhaps my favorite thing in fiction is to see a character get what she wants and to realize that it wasn't what she wanted after all, which is, I think, what happens to Sadie.
0: I think the goodness she herself projects kills her own eroticism without saying so much about Cormac in and of himself. Um, In Chapter 9... Oh my God, my favorite sentence in this whole book. You write, Alice felt the thrum in her pussy, a consequence of being licked all morning by her best friend's mother. I mean, how much fun is writing that sentence?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, I had a great time writing the sex scenes. Can you tell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so often literary fiction will skip the sex act itself. Um, The text will read, you know, he reached for her or she reached for her and slipped a hand under her blouse. And then the scene fades abruptly to black um, and it'll pick back up after a line break, kind of saying afterwards, dot, 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 getting on with the book. Um, It was important to me to show the sex, um, to show female sexuality in a way that we don't often see in the mainstream in reputable books. Um, You know, I have a new baby daughter. Not that I relish the idea of her reading these exact lines, Um, but it's important to me that she grow up seeing sexuality um, in its various forms normalized.
0: Without spoiling, I I do think that we can say that the ending of this novel ties a nice bow on the rest of the events in the book... Um, Again, I I don't want to get into it too much. We don't like to spoil for readers on the pod, but um, I did kind of wonder for for a novel that's full of so much complexity and so much messiness, so to speak, why clean it up that way, I sort of wondered.
1: Yeah, um, I struggled with the ending, and I tried out a few variations. I tried one in which the three women do self-implode and fail to achieve any unity between them, but with the help of my editor, Olivia Taylor Smith, I realized that wasn't actually the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to see these women come through the fire. And actually we were really careful and hopefully you don't think it's a clean, clean ending. Um, I'm not sure the bow is tied quite as tightly or securely as you might think initially. I think there's a lot that's unresolved and a lot that has been damaged. Um, by the events of the narrative. But without saying too much or in what ways the women are together, the three women are together on the last page of the book. And that was a very beautiful idea to me and to us, to Olivia and I, that these three women could test every boundary and overcome their individual petty hangups. And I felt it was much more interesting than seeing them destroy that bond is to see them... Actually, forging it again in light of everything that had happened.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Those, those are all my questions. Um, with listeners, feel free to grab a copy of Alice Edie Celine in uh, your local independent bookseller for Montrealers. We recommend Libre St. Henry books. And thank you, Sarah.
1: Thank you so much, Trudy. It's really a pleasure to speak with you.